0: Hello, and welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit
1: soullesschurch.com. Our teaching text today comes from Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11, so please follow along with me as we read. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Jesus Christ. We have no confidence in the flesh, though I also must, might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone. Can we thank Nina for leading us in that awesome scripture reading? Way to go. Got the big cheer, the round of applause for the coffee provision every Sunday morning. Check out the gathering grounds. That's their coffee shop over uh, at Island Watersports. It's like a, a stand-up paddle, surfboard rental slash little co- uh, coffee shop. Got to check that place out. A uh, little plug. If you submit a request for your business, I'll highlight it next week. Um, <laughs> awesome stuff. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all on this lovely Palm Sunday, uh, a special time, of course, in the Christian calendar uh, as we are reflecting on the final week of uh, Jesus' life um, and all that that entailed. And today, uh, just an incredible passage of Scripture. This is one of those mountain peaks of the New Testament. Um, and I'm, you know, that's such a pastor thing to say, like, this is the greatest Scripture in the whole Bible. I think I say that every week. But... Um, This is really, again, one of those incredible heights where the Apostle Paul is just unpacking all that Jesus is to him. Uh, And so what a perfect day uh, and occasion on Palm Sunday to be reflecting on these things, the worth of Jesus. How significant it really was that Jesus was entering into Jerusalem as he was, for, for who he was, as this humble servant. This king who had left his throne to serve and reach the world, just an awesome thing. And so, uh, we're continuing our study through the Book of Philippians. Uh, Russ alluded to it. We've been in it now for I don't know, almost two months. I think we're t- we're two months into this thing. I think we'll be wrapped up in the next two months uh, there in uh, May. Uh, but for now, yeah, let, let's uh, let's walk back through these verses. Um, I'm preaching today. If you'd like to take notes, I'll pray for us again in a second here. But the title of my message this morning is trading for treasure, trading for treasure. And so why don't we pray one more time, and then we will uh, ask the Lord uh, in that to uh, speak to us through uh, this, this time of study. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you again for, well, just for the occasion, the opportunity here on Sunday. It's such a joy to be able to gather with family um, around the the hope that you're our Father, and we we certainly we certainly thank you for that God. it's um, it's a joy to be here. Uh, it can be a routine to go to church and be a part of church. but Lord, when we step back and we remind ourselves of what we get to be a part of being in your family and and even what we have as an opportunity before us now, God, it's amazing and and so, my heart and hope, all of ours as well, is that God, this time would be meaningful. That your Holy Spirit would fill me, fill this place, and use this time we're giving you, God. Use this time for our good, ultimately, and for your glory. So, God, we, we just give you the room to speak. We ask that you would speak to us. God, I have, um, I have a sermon I've prepared, I've taken some time to get this ready. But we just invite the the wind of your spirit to come and blow here, the touch of your spirit, God. Um, Our hope's in you. We ask that you'd speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Trading for treasure. This is certainly the concept that we see Paul unraveling here in this passage. So let's begin here with a question. I want you to get introspective first thing this morning. Uh, by asking yourself this question, what do you most deeply treasure? What is most valuable in your life? What is most valuable in your life to you? Now, husbands and boyfriends and, and et cetera, right now you should be reaching your hand over looking in her eye, grabbing her hand, okay? But, but as you kind of step back for a second, just think about this for a second. Uh, what do you most deeply treasure? Another way to, to find the answer to this question is through another question. What are you willing to give everything up for, or to give up everything for? That, that's truly what you value. The way that you can determine how much you value something is um, how much you're willing to pay for it. I mean, it's, it's really simple. Um, cost is directly connected to value. So, so what do you most deeply value? What do you most deeply treasure, and how is that displayed and it, rather is that matched with what you're you're most willing to give everything up for? Now, um, I'm not in in business. I'm in ministry, okay. Um, and uh, I think the goal of my heart is to make sure ministry doesn't become business, okay. But um, you could say that on the side, I'm a bit of a hustler, um, a bit of a salesman. There's this little company called OfferUp, where. I'm a shining star in that field. Um, I might put it on my LinkedIn profile, um, which I don't know if I have one. I might have one. Don't look it up, please. I know you're doing it right now. It might say youth pastor, I think is what it might say. But, uh, you know, over the pandemic, uh, I got really into the whole wheeling and dealing and slinging on offer up. I mean, just for fun. Uh, it started because we were driving around the neighborhood with the kids. You know, It was like that lockdown time with not much to do. And I noticed I was leaving Joe Morgan's house, who lives in my neighborhood, and around the corner from his house, somebody was throwing out this dartboard here. Let me see if I can bring it up on the screen. Um, th- this dartboard. It was in their garbage. I-, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that somebody would... This- and I looked it up online. It was like 600 bucks. And I was like, I'm going to be the guy who's trash-picking my neighbor's garbage right now. And there's a lot of shame in it, but there's also a lot of reward in it. So you kind of, it's like, you got, it's like pick your poison there, right? And so um, we, we got the dartboard, and it kind of began this journey of like, man, it's amazing what people once found as to be treasure that now they consider trash. And their trash is becoming my treasure. This is amazing. Um, and so I just got so into this world of how fun it is to like get, especially when you're cleaning out the garage, you have all these things that you used to, care so much about and value so deeply. And OfferUp gives you a chance to make a little money for it. I mean, if there's anywhere that you see how people value and treasure things, it's going to be these kind of like person-to-person market systems, like Facebook Marketplace, OfferUp, I think it merged with with LetGo. You see what people are willing to pay for things. It reminds me of also a sale I put on there. We had this, I don't know how we acquired it, but the kids had this like to them, I guess, uh, life-size, four-foot-tall stormtrooper. And it was cool, because, look, it's a little stormtrooper. And we walk by, it; it, like, shouts at you. It's kind of a cool thing to have. But if you're a parent, you know how those toys can be. They're fascinating for the first few months, and then they're just taking up precious real estate, you know. And so my thought was, I need to get rid of this stormtrooper. And the question is always, how much is someone going to value this? How much are they going to pay for it? Now, when I posted the stormtrooper, I never expected the offer that I got. This is a literal text. I screenshotted it for you. Um, (laughs) This happened. Someone so valued and treasured my stormtrooper that they offered to trade me their taxidermied cobra. You know? You know that kind of thing? Like that happens? Um, let me know. <laughs> Thanks is the best part. <laughs> I'll be on standby. Let me know. Okay. Think about it. Pray about it if you really want the cobra. Now, at first, I was like, I'm not going to waste my time with this taxidermy cobra. Then I thought, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity <laughs> You don't often come across a deal like this. Like, how much do I really treasure this stormtrooper? Like, do I, is it, you know, 75 bucks or whatever really worth it? Or is a taxidermy cobra where it's at? So I went to the internet and kind of put it out there. Some of you guys might remember this. Putting it on Instagram, I did a little poll. Had people vote, uh, weigh in their perspective. I had people, like, on every angle of it. Like, you know, um, there's nothing. You know, the whole time, the hardest part is Brittany's like, no. <laughs> Uh, no, like, you don't need a taxidermy Cobra. But, I had, but then it was hard, because it's like, babe, I hear you and all. But I had people suggesting, like, you could mount that to your Volkswagen Golf? <laughs> Think of the opportunities and possibilities. Um, it's really a beautiful work of art. <laughs> these, these are all the pictures she sent me. Every, she, <laughs> the best is every angle. She wanted me to know... Like, she, she, listen, she wanted to know, if I walked away from this treasure, she wanted to know what I was walking away from, certainly. Um, for those of you wondering, I, I do not own a taxidermy Cobra at the moment. Um, and, and again, it goes back to this question, what are you willing to give up everything for? I mean, how much did I really, it was close, but at the end of the day, uh, my lack of value in this useless but fun item, uh, it was directly connected to what I was willing to pay or sacrifice for it. I ended up selling the stormtrooper to some guy and uh, yeah, had a sale that way. Uh, now, the reason why this idea is so relevant, remember the title of the message, Trading for Treasure, is you kind of have Paul here in Philippians 3 describing his own experience in life with, with a certain transaction. Uh, you, you can imagine Paul here is like an offer-up buyer who's describing the most valuable treasure... That anyone could ever discover, and it was so valuable to Paul, that he was willing to trade everything to obtain it. To him, it was a new treasure. Paul had some previous treasures. He had some other things that he used to treasure. But we see here in the text that we read, uh, those things became nothing in comparison to what he was gaining in Christ. Uh, And so let's walk back through this and really see the Apostle Paul here describing the treasure that he has encountered and experienced in Jesus and what it looks like for an individual to so encounter and experience the worth and the magnificence of Jesus in such a way that you say, I'll give up everything and anything for him. He's so valuable to me that I'll pay everything to have him value connected to cost. Now, I just want to give you a little precursor. The, the flow of the sermon today and how we're going to study this is a little bit more classic Bible study. I don't have three points for you. This is maybe the first time in eight years I don't have a three-point sermon. Um, and just the flow of this is going to be such that we just want to allow this passage to just kind of wash over us. Uh, let's allow God's Word to speak to us as we see the Apostle Paul describing how he has traded everything for the treasure of Christ. Here's where it begins. You saw it there, and I'll, I'll have the verses on the screen. You can follow me, and your Bibles are up here. Uh, Paul begins this chapter in such a classic pastor preacher way. He says, finally. Now, what's hilarious about this is it's chapter three, okay? There's a whole other chapter to come. In fact, in chapter four, verse eight, Paul says, finally. Again, classic pastor move. Like, I'm going to wrap it up here, which means 30 more minutes, right? Um, but Paul, he starts this chapter by saying, guys, these are, this is the heart of what, what I want to say. He says, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious. It's not repetitive, but it's safe. This reminds me as, as, uh, of being a parent. There are things that I have to repeat over and over and over to my kids, uh, not in a tedious way, but in a helpful way. It's good for you to hear sometimes the same thing over and over and over again. I love the words of Charles Spurgeon. He says that our memories are slippery. Isn't that true? How many times have have I had to rediscover a truth about Christ that I thought that I got? I had that. I knew that. I was aware of that. I learned that verse. I read that verse. And we see Paul here saying, listen, sometimes one reading, one understanding isn't enough. It, often sanctification and the, and the work that God does in our hearts of growing our dependence on him, it comes through this repetitive process of not just hearing something, but it, it being driven to the point to where it's like, I really believe this. Uh, I think of, again, Evie, who uh, is, got a two-wheeler now. She's had it for some time, but for her birthday, my, my five-year-old just turned five uh, last Wednesday, and We got her a nice little new bike, and and she is, I've talked about her a handful as being like, out of all my kids, the most independent, adventurous, and willing one. A lot of strengths and challenges in that. Um, And so with her two-wheeler, it's just off to the races. She's on that thing, and she's gone. And so I've had to warn her over and over again. I've told her so many times, Evie, when you come around the corner there, there's a stop sign, because she'll just take off in that street and Lance Lance Armstrong her way around my whole neighborhood. So I'm like, you got to chill. Okay, Daddy can't chase after you. I mean, I can, and I have, but I don't feel like doing that anymore. So make make sure when you're coming to that corner, I just got to remind her over and over again. She goes, Dad, you already told me. That's what she said yesterday. Dad, you already told me. Now, I, I know, I know. And I'm going to keep telling you because it's not tedious. It's not troublesome. It's safe. Now, just as I would repetitively, but helpfully, warn Evie to watch out for cars, Paul here, he has the heart of a father for this church, and he's reminding them, he's repeating some warnings to them for their own good. And it's not watch out for cars. Instead, we looked at this verse last week, it's watch out for dogs. No, that may be something that I could tell Evie too, I guess, but, or the mailman or something, right? But, but the, the idea here is Paul is speaking to a danger that these Christians are facing, uh, the danger of being influenced negatively by people who are representing or saying that they represent God. And so Paul gives them a warning. He says, I want you to watch out for dogs, these evil workers, he says, watch out for the mutilation. Now, wh- what is Paul talking about here? Who is Paul repeatedly, repeatedly but helpfully warning the church to stay away from? The word for these people is uh, Judaizers. Judaizers. Um, and, and to kind of explain a little bit about who these Judaizers are uh, who, that, that, that Paul ended up calling dogs, evil workers and and, uh, mutilators, Um, I I want to have a visual for you. So would you give it up for Jameson? Jameson's going to bring me out my prop. Can we give it up for Jameson Offerdahl? Where's he at? He's somewhere. There he is. Yes, there he is. Jameson's bringing out the ladder. Good job. Jameson is our stagehand, okay, by the way. He's the man. Um, He actually said, can we name the team the Stage Hands and feet of Christ? That's what he said, and I love that. It's kind of sarcastic, but... um, so in, in the church, you had these Judaizers, and these Judaizers were often, the, uh, again, of Jewish background, and often, always of Jewish background, and, and what they had as a tendency to do with with new believers is to sort of disregard their relationship with God because there weren't enough things or or works or acts done to get into God's favor. Now, we know that the gospel of Jesus says this, Jesus paid it all, and we trust in what he's done. We're justified, we're saved, we're made righteous through faith, through faith in God. Well, these Judaizers would come along and say, oh, that's great, young Gentile, you've put faith in Jesus, and you're forgiven of all your sins, Uh, but listen, have you been circumcised? That's what they would say. Gentile man? Now, more on that another time. I'm just putting that off to describe what that is. But you get it, right? Like, that's, what? Like, have you performed these religious acts? Have these religious achievements been accomplished by you? Because if not, okay, your faith, it's nice, but, but you're not really in with God like you could be like do you really want to get in with God you, do you want to, want to have all of God's favor you want to be on God's best side he said well well you you got to perform a few things or think of it this way you got to do a few things or stop doing some other things uh, the the picture of this is almost like they had this religious ladder uh, this this climbing sort of process where if you really wanted to get in with God you had to make your way up the steps So faith wasn't enough. You had to get circumcised. You you had to also keep the law. You had to keep the Torah. It was this works-based relationship with God. It was these tasks, these feats of morality to help you get in with God. And, you know, though today circumcision is not the main debated topic for Gentile believers, at least in my circle, um, we, we have our own religious ladders today. We have them both kind of culturally. We don't say them, but we often show them. Like, oh, you, you, you believe in Jesus, and you're righteous through Christ, and you've been forgiven, but, but have you done this? Have you done that? Have you stopped doing this? Have you stopped doing that? We even have these for ourselves. We have our own steps along the way to where you're like, yeah, I know I've been saved by grace through faith, but am I really in with God? How do I really climb my way? To the top, Uh, Paul says in light of these truths, in light of these kind of people, he says you got to watch out for the dogs. Now, I mean, I would ask you first and foremost, like, who are the dogs in your life? Um, Who who are the people, genuinely, that are negatively influencing you away from the truth of the gospel? Uh, Paul is saying this because relationships matter the effect that, you know, we can kind of, we like to act like this as Americans, that it's just kind of me and my choices and me and God, and it's kind of the individualistic thing, but that's just not true. So much of who you are today is directly connected to your influences, your upbringing, your family, your friends, and who you're becoming today is still determined by who you're with, who you're around. Paul says, beware of, of dogs beware of evil workers beware of people who are leading you into some kind of theology of works he says beware of any sort of influence listen to this that's leading you paul says to put confidence in the flesh to go okay i can do this i got this And I'm all about common grace. I'm all about, like, learning from every kind of person, all believers, non-believers, kind of believers, full believers. I think there's a lot to be learned from everyone and anyone. But there's got to be some caution. Uh, We've got to, Paul says, beware. Watch out for how that's influencing you. Now, here's another question I'd ask. How are you influencing you? Could it be that the dog you have to watch out for, I don't mean this too offensively, but it's, yourself? You know, it's been said, Paul Tripp, a great leader and pastor, he said it best. He said, no one is more influential in my life than me because no one talks to me more than I do. There's no one in your life more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You talk to yourself all day long. Have you even got caught up in this sort of ladder climb in your relationship with God? And and you know at one point in your life you were three steps up, but maybe now you've kind of come down two steps. Your devotional life is really slacking, you know. You 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 cursed at your kids this week or something, you know, or or you had an outburst in your marriage, and it's kind of like oh no, it kind of shoots in ladders, right? And and that's what Paul is saying to watch out for. Now it's it's pretty interesting the 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 way that he responds to these guys. Which by the way, Paul is such a gangster. the, the words that he uses to call out who these dudes are is just Pauline gangsterness. He calls them first dogs. That's what he, he says about these Judaizers that are trying to get people to put confidence in their works rather than in what Christ has done. And uh, this is an interesting term because uh, the, the phrase dogs, you know, for us, we're like, oh, that's cute. Like dogs, like little golden retrievers, you know, like I got to watch out for golden retrievers. Like that's not what he's saying. OK, um, in, in that culture, a dog was the equivalent of like a modern day rat, Uh, it wasn't they weren't like these like cute domesticated little fido fluffy you know little hamster looking things you know like these were these were the 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 scum of the earth in that culture they would roam the streets and they would eat all the scraps and they were more of a nuisance than anything and it was a gentile slur that the jews would use to describe the gentiles this is the exact term of contempt that the jews would use against the gentiles that they're dogs And, and and Paul is saying about the Jews that they're dogs. This is why Paul's so cool. And then he calls them evil workers. And this is, again, such a, fl- a flip around because they're the Jews. They're the ones that are keeping all the rules. They're the ones that are doing all the right things. They're the ones that have climbed to the top of the religious ladder. And Paul says, no, you're evil workers. And so really strong language on purpose. Then he says, beware of the mutilation. It's another interesting word. Uh, the Greek word is katatome. And it's a play on the word paratome, which means circumcision. Um, and, and Paul is saying that these people that are demanding these religious acts by the church, he says they're not circumcisers. He calls them mutilators, they're, they're, they're catatomes. Uh, the, the word mutilation it, it's, it comes from even a pagan practice where you'd have, um, you'd have these really um, misled individuals mutilating themselves as sort of this, like, blood sacrifice, as sort of this uh, this way to appease an appeal to the gods. Like, let me earn God's favor by cutting myself, which is still something that people look to today as a savior, unfortunately. It's a false idol, this, this idea of mutilation. It, it goes back to a demonic practice, this pagan way to try to, let me appease God through my blood and what a contrast to the gospel of Jesus. You don't have to shed your blood. It's not about your blood, sweat, and tears. It's about the blood, sweat, and tears of Jesus. It's Jesus' blood that saves you. It's Jesus' blood that curries God's favor upon your life, that gets you in with God. And so Paul is like, you're you're not just about circumcision. He says, "They're, they're mutilators. Now, here's what Paul goes on to say. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh flesh so so Paul is comparing and contrasting now authentic ministry and authentic real influence with these Judaizers the Judaizers again they have their their religious ladder that they have to climb they're leading you to put confidence in in your in the flesh and notice too like with the ladder the thing is it's like it's this idea that you're you're getting higher and further in with God but when you're like up here on the religious ladder let's pray all right when you get up here There's this idea that you're really looking down upon everyone else. Isn't that true? And you kind of get to this place where you're either higher in pride, or then when you steep down and you look out at everyone else who's reading their Bibles and all that stuff, you're living in shame. It's just not the gospel. And Paul's like, listen, that's not the real deal. That's not authentic. He says, we are the circumcision. Here's the true ones who are set apart for God. And he gives three characteristics. Those who worship God in the spirit. Jesus said that the time of true worship is coming, where those who worship me, they will worship me, not just in the flesh, in performance, in religious routine, but in spirit and in truth. Sincere worship of God. Worship of God that starts in the heart, and maybe it expresses itself in a posture with the hands, but, but it's sincere. It's Worshiping and serving God in the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit versus the flesh. That's the Christian life. Not your, the works of your flesh, but the power of the Spirit. He says the, the real deal are also those who rejoice in Christ Jesus, or the word there is boast in Christ Jesus. Paul says, God forbid that I as a Christian should boast in anything except for the cross. Like, that's what we boast in. That's what we gloat in. As Christians, we don't boast and rejoice in how awesome our Christian performance is. Paul says we boast in the cross. You know, the the only other thing that we see Paul boasting of, it's really interesting, is um, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul boasts in his weakness. That's what we boast in. What does a Christian boast in? Do they boast in their flesh and what they can do? No, they boast in the fact that they are weak, and then they boast in the fact that Jesus is strong. That's the Christian life. We boast in Jesus. And he says, and here's the mark. Here's the mark. We have no confidence in the flesh. We don't look to ourselves to maintain right standing with God. We don't have a religious ladder trying to climb and earn our way depending on ourselves, uh, trying to earn our way into God's unending and perfect love. Now, I love what Paul does here next. Look at verse 4. He says, now, though we don't have confidence in the flesh, Paul's like, let's play your game. All right? He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. I mean, if anyone's going to, Paul's like, I might. He says, if anyone thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, he's like, I am more so. He's like, so you want to play basketball? He's like, well, I'm MJ, okay? How's it going? Let's play hoops. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul's like, he seriously says, he goes, okay, confidence in the flesh, people. People working your way into God loving you. He goes, let's play that game. Let me sign up. I'd love to play. And Paul begins to describe uh, his own experience of climbing the ladder. You could say that Paul begins to show his scorecard. That's what we're talking about here. Like, we all on a daily basis, have to fight against our own spiritual scorecards that we have. Do you know what I'm talking about? Your scorecard, how am I doing? How's my score? Is the, Are the heavens opening up on me today? Let's check my score. Oh, I had a trial today. Yeah, my score was low. That's this really destructive stuff. We all have these subconscious scorecards, confidence in the flesh. And Paul's like, fine, let's play the scorecard game. Let me just real quick, let's just take a look at my scorecard, just for fun. Let's take a look at at my own ladder of religious achievement. Paul's like, for me, let's talk about circumcision. He goes, I was circumcised the eighth day. I come from a true Jewish family. I was circumcised on the day that the Torah calls me to be circumcised. He goes, I'm of the stock of Israel. All right. He says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, the beloved tribe of Benjamin. He says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. The word Hebrew of Hebrews, the idea there is, I'm not like these other Jews that are, have become what's called Hellenistic, where they've kind of taken on the Greek customs and the Greek language. He goes, I'm a Jewish-speaking Jew that comes from Jewish, a Jewish-speaking family. Like, if you're creating the draft class of the best Jew, Paul is your number one pick. He's at the top of the list. All these other guys, you could say they're jew ish, right? Paul, true Jew, Jew to the core. He goes, you want to do the scorecard game? You want, you want to look at the flesh to see if, if one of us is more in with God than the other? He goes, well, look at my scorecard. Concerning the law, Paul goes, I was a Pharisee. I was a part of that elite group of Jews that were so devoted to the Torah That I was a Pharisee. He says, concerning zeal, how zealous was I for God and his word? He says, I was persecuting the church. We know this about the Apostle Paul, that he was previously more known as the hostile Saul. He was a a terrorist who, who... sought to persecute, he, the Bible says he breathed threats. It was the very air he breathed to wreak havoc on the church. Anyone who was against the law, anyone who was of the way, he would drag off families, separate families uh, into prison. He was there consenting at the, at the death of the first martyr, Stephen. That was Paul's religious passion. Okay. Um, I don't think I need to say this, but we know that like religious passion without Jesus can do some really destructive things. Religious passion that's rooted in the flesh. It, it might You might look spiritual because of all the things you're doing, but it can do some really destructive things. It can breed a spirit of condemnation towards others. It's, it's not a healthy thing, but Paul's saying if you're looking at that mark, I'm scoring pretty high. He says, concerning righteousness which is in the law, if you want to talk about keeping the Torah... If you looked at the way that I orchestrated my life, he says, I'm blameless. You can't find anything wrong with my law keeping. So Paul says, you want to play the religious achievement, confidence in the flesh game? He's like, I've been playing this since I was eight days old, bro. Paul's like, "I I can play that. Check out my scorecard. And Paul's scorecard, it like, it silences all the Judaizers kind of a thing. But notice what Paul says. Here's something that we see about this. Though Paul had this whole life that was dedicated to uh, the confidence in the flesh, um, and he had this perfect scorecard, we know the story of Paul. The story of Paul is this, that when Paul met Jesus, everything changed. Like he was the the highest scorer in the religious field there, but when he met Jesus, everything changed. Notice verse 7. He says, But what things were gain to me, this is huge, these I have counted loss for Christ." Paul is uni- using um, accounting terms. Anybody here in the field of accounting? A couple of you? One of you? Some of you? A couple? Some of you guys are like, I'm kind of an accountant. Like, I did my own taxes this year. You know. Okay, that counts, I guess. Um, but Paul is using accounting language. This is really interesting. When he when he refers back to his religious achievements and identity and activity, all the things that he had done to get him in with God, he says that these things at one point, they were gained to me. So Paul does a profit and loss report of his life. And he goes, there was a time where my religious performance was the highest profit. It was the highest treasure. It was the, the largest gain. It was the biggest thing. He says, but then when I met Jesus, here's what he says. Those things that were prophets... That ladder, that religious ladder, Paul says, I, I've moved it over to the loss category. I've counted it as loss. It's an accounting term. I've, I've considered it a loss. I've gotten rid of it. Now, why is that? This is an interesting thought. I want you to think about the moment that the Apostle Paul met Jesus face-to-face on the road to Damascus, on Damascus Boulevard, when Paul was knocked off his high horse, and he was face-to-face with The Lord Jesus, whose church Paul was persecuting. In that moment, when Paul was face-to-face with Jesus, let me say this, his religious achievements meant nothing. This is, by the way, true of every account that we have in Scripture of a human being, righteous or unrighteous, coming face-to-face with the glory of God. When you come face to face with the glory of all who God is, all the awesome things about who you are, they just kind of melt away. And it's just like, God, you are who I'm not. And you start to actually see who you really are. You know, you can get by with a lot of pride if you live your life comparing yourself to other Christians. But when you start comparing yourself to Jesus... When you start looking at who you are through the mirror of transformation, which is the mirror of the glory of the Lord, all of a sudden humility starts to set in. I think of Isaiah, for example. Isaiah, this great prophet, in the beginning of his letter, he's saying, woe to these nations. Woe to these people, all these sinners out there. And then Isaiah sees the Lord. High and lifted up. And Isaiah goes from saying, woe to you, to woe is me. Look at who God is, and look at who I'm not, and look at who I am am before him and and listen we're all left in the same place that Paul was standing before Jesus as one who has sinned against God and is in desperate need of God's mercy and grace that's where we're left Like, we can, listen, let's just put away the religious achievements for a second. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of the Lord, even the greatest Pharisee, Paul. And there we are at the foot of the cross, and we find ourselves in this place where we just need God to pardon us. You know what we need? We need God to be good. Do you know what we need? Not to be good enough, but we need God to be gracious and loving and forgiving and merciful. And that's the good news of the gospel he is he is the apostle paul says this what a contrast in 1 Timothy 1:15 paul says this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am chief so paul goes from being the most religious you know achiever to the worst of sinner through uh, worst of sinners through the gospel notice the change here Here's how awesome I am, and, and this is, if you look at Paul's letters, what you find is Paul, over time, the more he gets to know the Lord, uh, it wasn't like, contrary to how a lot of us think about growing spiritually, is like, the more I walk with Jesus, the better I like what I see in the mirror. So holy, so much better, so much, no, the, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I actually discover the depths of my need for him. You know what I'm saying? You're like, I'm good, and you're like, and then you get married, you're like, oh, that was in there, it's come out, okay. I didn't know that that was just stuff down there, I thought I was awesome. But my wife doesn't think so. Mm. Then you have kids. You have kids. And you're like, I'm gonna just be the best parent ever, perfect all the time, never angry, loving, gracious, perfect amount of discipline and grace. And, and you're like, I'm, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> I don't have it together, okay. And we kind of say this tongue-in-cheek, but like, we've all crashed, haven't we? We've all hit that point where we're like, I just need Jesus. I'm so thankful that there's no ladder in my relationship with Jesus because I've fallen off that thing. But there's Jesus, there's the gospel, and Paul's life was this growing appreciation For the fact that the gospel is not about a ladder to which we ascend up into the heavens, but the gospel is about the fact that Jesus left heaven and descended. For Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Every other religion or worldview or even secular humanism is some attempt to ascend the mountain. Here's how you get to the top. Here's how you get to the top of fulfillment. Here's how you get get to the top of God's favor. Here's how you get to heaven. You better climb. Here's here's actually the ten ways to climb up to God. And we have our own today, these own moralistic towers of Babel. The gospel says that God, who is at the top of the mountain, he came down to the base of the mountain to bring us up with him. Christ descended, and as he came to this earth, he died in my place. Jesus ascended the ladder for me. He had the perfect, so I can throw my scorecard out. I can throw the ladder out because I am what I am through the grace of God. That's what Paul said. I am what I am through the grace of God. My identity is not in what I do. It's in what Jesus has done. Jesus has come into the world to save sinners, and Paul says, of whom I am chief. This is toward the ends of Paul's life, this progressive journey of understanding his desperate need for God's grace and in saving him. And Paul says, this is what I've traded out my religious achievements for. This is what I've, I've, I've traded out, my religious identity, my religious activity, and, and like we have them today too. Like I go to church, I read my Bible, I, I love my neighbor, and we can have our own versions of this today. And, and Paul says, "I've counted that all as loss to receive what Jesus has on offer." Now what's really amazing about this in verse eight is that Paul he ex- uh, explains this and unpacks it a little bit more. Uh, what we notice here in this verse is that counting everything as loss for what Jesus has. Paul shows us that it's important for that not just to be a past tense event. Certainly, Paul says, I counted all as loss. But then in verse 8, he says, yet indeed, I also count all things as loss. So this is also helpful. Um, this is so important, right? Like, it's, it's, it's good to say, here's my testimony. Here is what I sacrificed into my relationship with Jesus. This, is what, this was my journey of this used to be everything to me, and now Jesus is everything. But Paul's like, no, it's got to be a daily practice, I counted and I also count every day all things as lost because there's this constant temptation to place other things back in that central treasure place. So it's this discipline and this habit. And notice this too. It wasn't just limited to one time in the past, but notice that it wasn't just limited to Paul's religion. Isn't this beautiful? He says, I also count all things lost. This is really helpful. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I don't just sacrifice my religiosity, certainly I do that. But, but Paul is now unpacking this idea about Jesus as being worth giving up, he says, everything for. Like certainly, like we get rid of the religious ladder, but we also get rid of everything because he's worth it. Because he's the treasure, because he's most valuable. And he's so valuable to me that I'm willing to pay everything and give up everything for him that's the truth of his value in my life paul says i also count all things as loss jesus tells a parable about this in matthew 13 in matthew 13 i thought i had it up on the screen i don't so go a little old-fashioned for you and turn there and read it to you but matthew 13 Jesus tells this beautiful parable that I think actually the kids are studying this in, in children's ministry either this week or this month. But Matthew 13, Jesus says in verse 44, listen to this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Think of this incredible parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has. He counts all things as loss, and he buys that field. He buys the field, he sacrifices everything to buy the field to obtain the treasure. Jesus says this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is a lot like what it looks like to experience the worth of Jesus. He's so beautiful, he's so worth it that you say, I'm going to give up everything for him. Now, some people have, and I actually had a conversation with some people about this a couple weeks ago. This is an interesting parable where it's a little confusing, like, how do we interpret this? Is this Jesus? Is Jesus the buyer? You know, and we, are we the, the treasure? And there's, I would say, in some ways, like, there's truth to that. Um, Charles Spurgeon actually affirms this. Uh, he said, so did Jesus himself at the utmost cost. Jesus bought the world to gain his church, which was the treasure which he desired. I think it's pretty awesome uh, that Jesus values his children, right, in that way, that he would give up his own life for us. Uh, but I would think also it's the other way around. It's both, right? It's it's two individuals that have become so enamored with each other that they give up everything for each other. Let's be honest, Jesus has laid down everything for us. He gave up everything he had, even his own life, for us, for us to be forgiven, for us to be made righteous. And the kingdom of heaven is a lot like us doing the same thing in response. It's a lot like us going, there's no love like this. There's no person like this. There's nothing like this. I'll give up everything everything for this treasure that I find in Jesus. Now, Paul kind of takes it a step further, and this is, again, I talked to you about earlier about Paul using some gangster words, and this is maybe less gangster, more funny, but Paul says, not only do I count all things lost, it says, for the excellence of the knowledge, some translations say, for the supreme worth of Jesus, I'll pay everything for him, that's how valuable he is. He says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, he says, and I count those things that I've given up for him, I count them as rubbish. Great little English word. Count them as rubbish that I may g- gain Christ. Call the midwife rubbish. All right? Now, it's my wife's favorite show. Um, the word rubbish there, it's a fun Greek word to say. It's the word skubalon. Can you say skubalon? Like, you, like your Greek, say skubalon. Love it. We all just half-heartedly <laughs> and awkwardly said the word poop. That's what we just said. The word skubalon literally means refuse and excrement. This is the word, I didn't write the Bible, Paul did. Okay, the Holy Spirit through Paul. So like, this is his words. Paul, Paul's looking at his life. Paul's saying, Jesus is so worth everything that comparatively, I count everything as skubalon. Everything is, scu-. now the modern translation, I can't actually tell you what the actual word is in our language because the it would hit the fan. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, <laughs> it would. The actual idea of this is like Jesus is so valuable that anything that I try to put in that place instead of him, it's scuba It's rubbish. Paul's like, I've counted it as rubbish. Now, this sort of radical renunciation of all things, considering everything scuba on for Jesus. I want to say that it's not unique to Paul. Paul isn't being like extra, extra, extra Christian. You know, in the church, there's like, even like the global church, there's figures that were like, oh, they're sold out. They're like one of those disciples, you know. They've literally sold everything. They've counted everything as lost. Everything is scuba on for Jesus. We we can do that, and we can maybe even do that here with Paul, where we're like, Paul's in this unique class of just being radical, being extreme. But I want to say that Paul here, in counting everything as lost for the worth of Jesus, he's not being extreme. He's being biblical. He's just being faithful to Jesus. Um... This is not the posture of some elite group of Christians. According to Jesus, this is what it actually looks like to be a Christian. This is what it looks like to follow him. This is consistent with Jesus' teaching. Jesus would constantly, we see this all throughout the Gospels. Jesus would constantly make it hard for people to stay and make it really easy for people to leave. Jesus loved people, but he, he would never water down the weight and the cost of what it really entails to follow him. There, there's multiple occasions where Jesus has these opportunities to like lead people in like a simple prayer. Like, oh, just pray this prayer and everything's fine. Like Here's a like great life. If, if your life is like a drawer or a shelf or what, what's that called? A dresser. There it is. If your, life is a, if your life is a dresser, you don't just here's another drawer, right? Here's Jesus. You got your, your your work life, you got your your financial house, you got your family life, you got your recreational life. And why don't you just throw Jesus in there too? Put make him an, another drawer in the dresser. Um, and there's opportunities where, where Jesus like had chances to do that. You know, the, the most consistent, right, is and known as the, the this rich young ruler. Jesus was going out on the road, and one man came, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, um, this is a great place to say, well, bow your head, pray this prayer, and repeat after me, right? Like, if you came up to me after the service and said, Andrew, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Like, I'd be like, well, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, like, and you and your household will be saved. Like, believe on Jesus. But Jesus discerned, that in the heart of this man, there was curiosity but there was still reservation. There was unwillingness. So, so Jesus cut right through it. He, he, he says to the man, why, first of all, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. In other words, do you know who you're talking to, right? He said, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now what's interesting is Jesus lists to him all the commandments that have to do with loving your neighbor. And this guy, the good little legalist that he was, a little rich young legalist ruler, he says, teacher, all these things I've kept since VBS. That's what he says. Okay, Christian school, Christian camp, Christian dog, Christian everything. I have the track record. I have, have, you know, so am I good, Jesus? Am I in? And Jesus, this is so insightful. It says Jesus looking at him. Loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. This is Jesus' response to this man that's seeking eternal life, but he's seeking eternal life on his own conditions He's seeking relationship with God as long as it's tailored to this sort of drawer in the dresser idea. But, but Jesus says, listen, following me is not, it's not free. Now listen closely. Salvation is free. Salvation is the free gift of grace. Salvation is free, but discipleship, following Jesus, will cost you everything. It will cost you everything to be a disciple of Jesus, which is what a believer in Jesus is, by the way. And and this man comes face to face with the cost of Jesus. And you just imagine, like maybe we've all been there before where there's a transaction that you're just wrestling over. And you're like, this is the value of this item to me, but this is what it's going to cost me. And you have these like competing treasures. It's a tragic verse. It says in verse 22, but he was sad at this word. Jesus, why are you making... A relationship with you costs so much. can it just be easy? can it just be simple? And it says, and he went away sorrowfully, for he had great possessions. The header of the next section is that with God all things are possible. And I think that's appropriate because this young man coming face to face with Jesus, he realized that to truly belong to God, to truly receive all that Jesus is. And let me say this. To truly live in the life that Jesus has on offer for you, it's, it's sincerely and deeply going to cost you. It's going to cost you. And this might be hard for us. Why? Because in America, following Jesus is free. Now, there's pressures, I think, making it a little bit more costly over time culturally to stay true to orthodoxy and the way of Christ. But we don't know what it's like to be a new convert like one in the Middle East. That making Jesus your Lord means your family disowns you. Today, right now, people who are completely disowned. There's missionary friends in our church that have close friends that have either been martyred for their faith in Jesus or have been completely abandoned and ostracized by their family because they're pledging allegiance to him. There's a cost to that. And it's a tough thing for us in our culture where we have a faith that doesn't cost us anything. And, you know, it's a it's a kind of a common sense concept, but if something doesn't cost you anything, it's it's not really worth anything. Like when I go down to, to Latin America and I I buy like fake Ray Bans for eight dollars. There's a reason why the eyes, you know, lens pops out on the way, on the plane back home, you know, like, because it's not not worth much, it didn't cost much. I want you to just ask yourself this morning, have you so encountered the magnificence and the worth and the treasure of Jesus that you have a faith that's worth something in him? Because you've responded to that worth and said, Jesus, I'll count all things lost. I'm going to suffer the loss of all things. I want you to ask yourself, how are you possibly like this rich young ruler that is holding another treasure between you and Jesus and saying, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to sacrifice that. I, I, I'm going to walk away sorrowfully. That's what happened. Walked away sorrowfully. Now, that's the, that's a, that's the appropriate way to walk away it was like this rich young ruler, um, even though he was still able to hold on to his precious, he knew what he was missing out on. The excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And listen, that's important for us to see that. Like, and I think maybe that's where some of these messages can go wrong. Like, it's got to cost you. You better, you better give it up. You know, it's like, all right, okay. But, but the idea is not, listen, in following Jesus, Paul says it here. I've suffered the loss of all things that I may, here's the word, gain Christ. You see, the focus from Paul is not on what you're losing, it's on who you're gaining. I get Jesus. And in verses 9 through 11, we're going to unpack those in weeks to come, Paul begins to just open up the treasure box of what it means to have a life full of Jesus. The gain of Christ over against the cost of what we're giving up. Paul knew what it was like to suffer the loss of all things. Here he is in prison writing this letter. Some scholars believe that when Paul became a Christian, his wife left him. There's a lot of scholarly opinion. It's not concrete. It's not in the Bible, but it's possible, maybe probable, that Paul had a Jewish wife who left him Um, when he became a follower of Jesus. He suffered the loss of that. Paul is one who knew what it was like to give up everything for the wonder and the glory of Jesus. And and again, the idea here is that this is in response to the fact that Jesus paid it all for me. I I wonder if today you see yourself as the treasure that God sees you as to him. If you see all that he's done for you, and if that has truly led you to say, God, I want to give up everything in response to you. As As I bring the band to come out and close us out in a time of reflection and worship, I wanted to give us a scripture of Closing reflection, Psalm 73, verse 25, David says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. John Piper famously said, that religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. Christians say he's worth it all. This is who Jesus really is. So uh, in this time of response, I wanna invite us to take a moment to process the truths of our lives, to process the truth of these, these words here. And as we hold them up against where we're at today, maybe it's, it's time to take some inventory maybe it's time to start looking at your life and going, have I really gotten a glimpse of who Jesus is? Am I a Christian because it's useful? Am I a Christian like Paul because it's what I was raised in and I have my scorecard and I have my ladder? Or have I had the same kind of experience where I have discovered the wonder and the beauty and the magnificence and the worth and the excellence, Paul says, of Jesus, so much so that I'm following him for him. Is he your treasure? So I guess this goes back to our opening question. What do you most deeply treasure? And can you say like Paul, it's the excellence of Jesus. It's him. Um, Let's take a moment. We're going to reflect on this. During this song, Christ Alone Cornerstone, uh, maybe it's a way for you to come back to that place of building your life upon the worth of Jesus. Maybe on the contrary of that, maybe you're at a place where you go, I've never built my life upon Jesus. And you acknowledge today that I've been building my life upon other things. And and pick your path. For some of you, it's this religious path of trying to earn your way to God. And you have this ladder of religious achievement that's marked your relationship with God. And today you've got to throw that in the garbage. You've got to count this ladder as scuba on and say, I'm done with that. I'm going to embrace Christ or for others of you maybe you have completely abandoned the Lord Jesus like this rich young ruler for earthly treasures and you've been masking it and you've been stuffing it but deep down there's this sorrow of heart knowing what you've let go of here's the good news God is with you God's heart is turned towards you in love and grace and his arms are open and he's calling and inviting you to come back and respond to him to find him the treasure we've given everything else for. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solacechurch.com.